Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blake. A very warm welcome to our regular listeners and those who are new to Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio every third Tuesday monthly at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. UK Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time. A serious radio live invites you to discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. As always, be prepared for another amazing show covering fascinating topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the new world, the next master, life on other planets, and so much more. Well, today on Aetherius Radio Live, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be talking about a truly fascinating subject, discipleship through the ages. Listeners may remember this was featured in the December show last year, but unfortunately, due to technical problems beyond our control, the recording of this show was lost, but... We are very fortunate that Richard and Chrissy will still be able to discuss some of the fascinating points that were covered. So, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to hand over to Richard and Chrissy. Hello, thank you, you, Nikki. (laughs) What a great introduction there. (laughs) What a flawless intro. How are you, Chrissy? I'm very well, thank you. How are you today? Doing good, thank you. I suppose the first thing we we should do is um, apologise to listeners who who heard this very show, or a similar one, it will be different, but the same topic uh, last year, which unfortunately got lost, and therefore, unless you were listening while it was going on, you weren't able to get it later, as many of our Ethereum Radio Live listeners too, and hence we're covering the topic again, Chrissy. Yes, and it's certainly a fascinating topic, discipleship down through the ages, and Mm. also what this means to the spiritual aspirant, to the searcher today. But first, Richard, um, I know that you've been involved in an extensive international media campaign over the past few weeks, or really from the beginning of this year almost. And I wondered if listeners, I think, would be very interested to hear all the latest developments and what's going on. Sure. I mean, we, we, of course, discussed UFOs and their spiritual significance, UFOs and spirituality, uh, last month. And we were in the throes then of a campaign, which I have to say, and you and I, Chrissy, have been involved in in running UFO campaigns uh, in previous decades. But this one wasn't really organized by us at all. It just sort of had a life of its own. Maybe it was organized from upstairs. That's certainly the way it looks to me. Because it just started to happen, and it all started uh, with, of course, as we discussed last time, with the British astronomer Helen Helen Charman uh, talking about invisible aliens, and, and, and there's definitely aliens throughout the universe. But it goes on, even as of this very day today, another... Uh, revelation has come in uh, this time uh, it, it was released yesterday American time which is today British time um, from uh, the SETI search for extraterrestrial uh, intelligence organization based in Mountain View um, and and, and uh, somebody from the University of uh, San Francisco's from Institute Again, and I'll give you the headline, scientists theorize that space aliens may already be here, but we don't recognize them. And that's just today. Things have been coming in virtually every day. Uh, on on uh, Saturday, the front page of one of our, not perhaps our best, but certainly one of our popular tabloids called the Daily Star over here, uh, the front page said, alien breakthrough, ET has phoned home. Now boffins need you to help trace him. And they're virtually saying, and this is again based on another report from SETI, that they are so inundated. SETI, just to remind people or or to inform people who aren't used to this topic, that SETI is an organization which is set up to send out radio signals in the hope of getting a response uh, from this galaxy or I don't know whether they even go beyond this galaxy, but certainly this galaxy. And 
it turns out, according to this article and so, some other, other reports also about it, that they are so inundated with responses that oh. they can't handle them all and they need uh, help. They're asking for volunteers to help them to handle it all. So that's another interesting thing. On Tuesday, we discovered, unbeknown to us, that it was Extraterrestrial Culture Day. Yes, and wow. that, that's a, an, an, something I'd never heard of. We looked into it. We found out again on the day. And it's, you know, it's this statement that was made many years ago by the Cosmic Masters that every step you take towards us, we will take two towards you, has been proved again and again, and especially, I have found, in UFO campaigns. We get engaged, we, we, we're doing a radio show, and during a radio show, a UFO will actually come down, beam down a, a beam onto a car bonnet, and the person will get out and phone the radio show. I mean, there is a response, and this looks to me like a definite response. Now, Extraterrestrial Culture Day, though, wasn't set up this year. It was set up some years ago in New Mexico by the state legislature. It's, it's formally approved, and it, it's quite a beautiful thing, actually. It's designed to honor and respect um, intelligences from other worlds, uh, visitors who, who may come to us, and um, indeed, as you can imagine, that led to another interview with our very good friend. Just to give you an idea of some of the wording, uh, actually, from the uh, House Memorial in New Mexico on 21st of March 2003, Extraterrestrial Culture Day exists, quotes, to celebrate and honour all past, present and future extraterrestrial visitors in ways to enhance relationships among all citizens of the cosmos known and unknown. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant, I mean, for yeah. us, the timing was great from our point of view because listeners will know, there's regular Ethereum Radio Live listeners will know about the mission operation Sunbeam, which we have covered before. And they'll know that, uh, uh, they'll have heard the news if they're members, that on that very day, which was Extraterrestrial Culture Day, Tuesday, a phase of this mission was performed, and it was performed with the absolute uh, indispensable help of beings from a planetary system called Gotha, a wonderful, um, if you don't know about Gotha, it's something we should definitely cover, by the way, Chrissy, on a future broadcast again, I think. For, for this. Yeah. But if you wanted a, a wonderful extraterrestrial culture, it's Gotha. Uh, these are most spiritual, noble, uh, advanced intelligences who revered uh, the three adepts. Uh, they, they are their heroes. And on that very day, Extraterrestrial Culture Day, they were helping us to perform Operation Sunbeam. Yes, it's amazing. As you say, you take one step towards them and uh, proof will come. So many yeah, people I, ask, if only yeah, they had on. proof. But you yes. know, the thing is, just continue to research to find out all you can about the Ethereum Society and uh, Dr. George King, extraterrestrial contactee. Keep looking up at the skies. I know, Richard, this is something you've advised to people too. And yes. evidence will come, and it is coming, as you say, Richard. It's amazing. Well, three people who say they are looking for uh, the truth and want the truth revealed are the three candidates. And again, I think it was on Tuesday, but certainly in the, in the last week, there was yes. the uh, New Hampshire primaries over there. You'll know a lot more about it than me, I'm sure, Chrissy. And there were five candidates, as I understand it. And of those five candidates, three of them pledged to reveal more about UFOs and alien intelligences if they get into power, because they all want, of course, to be president. Um, those three were in the first three places in that primary, with the other two candidates, one of whom I, I understood to be the favorite, Joe Biden. They hadn't made any such pledge on UFOs and aliens. Uh, but Bernie Sanders and the other two... They had, and they took the first three positions. That's fantastic. Yeah, they must know that the majority of Americans, uh, I think 61%, definitely believe in UFOs and extraterrestrial life, uh, right. intelligent extraterrestrial life. And also quite a large percentage do also believe that they are alien life is living among us. So, you yes. know, people throughout the world are, are open to this. They're ready for this, these revelations. 
Yes, and it and it's got a life of its own, so it carries on. And then um, I came across this. Certainly, isn't something that's come up this week. In fact, this is something that came up um, about seventeen hundred years ago, and and, and probably long before that. But certainly came to my attention this week for the first time. Some listeners may know about this. Um, our good friend Ayub Malik found this particular uh, reference and forwarded it to you and me, I think, Chrissy. And that's a Buddhist scripture called the Sadama Pandarika, or the Lotus of the True Law, written circa 300 AD. Um, and the exact date of the original Sanskrit version from India is not known with certainty because it would be a long time before that. But the first Chinese translation was made sometime between 265 and 315 AD. And Buddha himself was born in 563 BC, they think. So we're talking 800 years after the Lord Buddha, and then it was translated in 1884 by the Clarendon Press. Anyway, that's a long preamble, but the long and the short of this is an amazing incident, don't you think so, Chrissy? Uh, which we oh, should share with our listeners. Mind-blowing, yeah, absolutely, fantastic. Well, to summarize it, chapter 23 of this Lotus Sutra, which is entitled Gajadasvara, um, this, if I pronounce that right, in this chapter it states that when the terrestrial Buddha was about to give a sermon on one occasion, he darted a flash of light from a circle between his brows. I take that to be the third eye, actually. And this flash of light was seen on other worlds. And on another world, one of these worlds, um, the resident Buddha, in other words, an enlightened person who has a, a very long name, uh, perceived the ray of light from earth. And one of his students, according to this scripture, named Gajadasvara, also sees the ray of light and realized what it meant, i.e. that the Buddha on this world, on earth, was about to give an important sermon. So this student, just to repeat again, on another planet, it's interesting because this has got a discipleship connection, this story as well, asked yeah. his master for permission to visit earth and listen to the sermon of, we'll call him Sakyamuni, that's the Lord Buddha here, the terrestrial Buddha. And he gained permission, and the Master gave some interesting cautions. And this is a quote, apparently, from the text, which I read now. On coming to earth, you must not conceive a low opinion of it. The earthly Buddha, Lord Sakyamuna, will seem small compared to you, as are his disciples. He looks different from us, and he and his followers will seem to be ugly, so do not behave rudely. The earth itself has parts that are ugly like sewers, so don't form a low opinion of it. <laughs> that was the warning this disciple on this other planet, according to this sutra, received before he came to earth to attend a sermon being delivered by Lord Buddha. And just, of course, to repeat for newer listeners, uh, it's a long-held belief in the Aetherius Society uh, that the Lord Buddha, a most wonderful, wonderful, compassionate intelligence, Fairly similar in some ways, I would say, to the Master Jesus, uh, in that they both came from Venus, they're both great teachers, and they're both, they are known in mystical circles, uh, Dr. King revealed, to be brothers. And he, he actually, Dr. King even went further and said, there's a physical similarity between them. And that's one thing. And the other thing I would also add to that is the Lord Buddha is on earth now. On Shambhala now, he's known as the Kamara of Shambhala now. So that's just an aside. But this is a time when he was in a physical body, what we've described in detail on the Theorist Radio Live, a fourth aspect physical body, living as a physical human being, and he was about to give a sermon. And this is identified, as we said, by Gajadasvara, uh, who entered then a deep meditation and then appeared psychically on earth before Sakyamuna and his students. And one of the earthly students, uh, Manjusri, asks about this mental appearance. So just to be clear about that, according to this report, they, he detected it mentally, this student, psychically, but it wasn't at that point a physical presence. And Sakyamuni replies, this is our Lord Buddha, that the visitor is a student from another world. 
Majusri asks if he can learn the same kind of meditation used to travel between worlds. And Majusri asks if Gajasufra can come in person because he wants to see what he looks like. Gajasvara agrees, comes to earth in a physical form, and this is another quote now, accompanied by the noise of hundreds of thousands of musical instruments. And it says he arrived by moving through the sky on a large tower. So that sounds to me, Chrissy, like um, a, what they used to call a cigar-shaped object, possibly, maybe, a large tower. Um, Now they call them tic-tacs in the U.S. Navy. I say we can't, I I prefer large tower. I think that's a better description than our modern ones. Anyway, once he arrived, his appearance on Earth was described as follows. And this is a quote. His face showed eyes resembling blue lotuses. His body was gold-coloured and sparkled with a luster. Lovely phrase. Upon arrival, Gajasvara has a curious but polite conversation with Sakyamuni. That's our Lord Buddha. He inquires about this world and about terrestrial students. Uh, Gajasvara expresses hope that earthly students are not too troublesome or too difficult to instruct, which I think is uh, very telling, don't you, Chrissy? Having been Absolutely. students of, of, an, of an avatar, fortunate uh, to be so, but I think we could at times be described as troublesome and difficult to instruct. What say you, Chrissy? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, Muni then asks Gajasvara, according to this report, to show the earthly students his true shape and body, which he does. And Muni points out that Gajasvara has the ability to assume many different forms, which is interesting, and to take on many other appearances if he wishes to. And then the student, Gajasvara, from the other planet, listens to the Lord Buddha's sermon and then gives a polite goodbye to Lord Buddha and returns to his own world. Quotes, he again mounted the tower and with the noise of hundreds of thousands of musical instruments, he returned to his own world. Well, that's really amazing. It's amazing. And it's also amazing, Richard, isn't it, that this happened, what, 2,500 years ago? And uh, mm. many people here still don't quite believe these things. And we're at the point today of, of having to you know, present this to- these topics and provide mm-hmm. evidence. And yet mm-hmm. when we hear this, I, it shows how absolutely liberating and exciting and inspiring it is when we do open our minds and our hearts to uh, these truths, these realities. And this is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? It certainly is. And it's my understanding that the sort of the ideas uh, that uh, the Buddhists had were much more in tune with our our modern ideas, uh, say, for example, than the Christian church had in its early years. They they, they believed in life on other planets, that extraterrestrials could travel between worlds. I'm sure they didn't call them extraterrestrials, but they also had a concept of locus, which uh, is, of course, other levels, other spheres. So they they had this idea of uh, what you might call invisible planes, Uh, as well, which is absolutely in tune with, uh, of course, the teachings of the Ethereum Society. Yes, and uh, Richard, should we move on to discipleship? Yes, please do, yeah. Mentioning um, Christianity, um, if you look up discipleship online, it it will say followers of Jesus. Yeah. And yet, um, that definition is is incomplete, because as you well know, Richard, there's discipleship in every single tradition. Of course. And it's something... Um, we believe that all of us listening today can achieve. And so, Richard, um, I wanted to ask you, I know it's one of your favorite topics, and you've actually written about this uh, Mm. in the biography, uh, the official biography of Dr. George King, The King Who Came to Earth, which we discussed on previous shows, and which you are coming here to Michigan, Royal Oak, Michigan, next May. Can't wait. Yeah, to talk, to discuss these very things together with um, the co-author Brian Kniep. But before yeah. we go into discipleship, I think the first question people might ask uh, today, because in matters of spirituality, we read a lot that, well, we don't need a teacher because the answers mm-hmm. are all within us. So, mm. Richard, what do, you, what do you have to say about that? Do we need a teacher? Yes, I, I, what I would say is that we do need a teacher. I think anyone who learns anything needs a teacher. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they've got to be in the physical living presence of that teacher. 
but they certainly, you know, you wouldn't learn anything really uh, without um, some kind of guidance and teaching on it. And I would say a, a disciple, uh, we don't have an exact definition of at what point you cease to be a student and you become a disciple. But it all has to do with the amount of uh, faith, the amount of effort you make, the amount of dedication you show, and the amount, and this is very important, you put into practice the work and teaching of your teacher or guru or master, or in the case of the Society, avatar, um, and then at some point you, 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 you are expressing sufficient dedication and devotion that you can rightly be called a disciple, whether you're in the presence of that teacher or not. But you know, to answer your question, I, I, yes, I do believe uh, everyone needs a teacher, and I think we need a teacher who isn't just full of knowledge and information, but a, a teacher who has experienced, who has the wisdom of demonstrating, having demonstrated that which they teach. Yeah, uh, and I always point. give the example, you know, uh, when I'm talking about running an event or something on this. And by the way, there's one or two articles on discipleship, if people are interested, which I've written about disciples through the ages. And they're on my website, richardlawrence.co.uk, and you'll see them there. But I, I give the example of Rembrandt, Chrissy, because he was known to, or believed, certainly from all we can gather, to be an extremely difficult, very, very demanding, not the easiest person to have learned under. Um, and there are some art historians uh, in teaching in you know, universities around the world and running art diplomas and art degrees and, and PhDs or whatever they're doing uh, in terms of tutorial um, who aren't great artists but have phenomenal knowledge. But I'm quite sure that if you wanted to be an artist, you would much rather learn from Rembrandt. I yes, would if definitely. I wanted to be an artist. Because <laughs> why? It's because you know this. This is a genius. This is a person who hasn't just learnt about something. He's manifested it. He's demonstrated it. And what you're hoping really is the essence of that genius, or part of it, a fraction of it, whatever, will be conveyed to you. So in selecting a teacher, I would advise people to look for that. And in fact, in, in some of the old traditions, particularly in Tibet, just well, not only in Tibet, but just to name one, you couldn't teach something until you demonstrated it. It was They weren't looking necessarily for the most... Um, best communicator like we might do nowadays or you know the person with the gift of the gather person who can explain well and, and so on they're looking for the person who demonstrated that teaching and as we know and we always stress in the Ethereum Society you can't or shouldn't teach a mantra a lot of people break this law actually unless that mantra lives within you which means um, you've kind of made it your own you you have understood it you have realized it uh, in a way, and then you can pass it on, and only then. That's a very good point, Richard. Yes, indeed. We would all definitely like to learn painting from Rembrandt, as you say. <laughs> I, I think it was Rembrandt who said, um, without atmosphere, a painting is nothing, or something along those lines. So, right. in other words, it wasn't just technical skill. Yeah. It was something he... Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, yeah. Thank you, Richard. Uh, another important area it would be good to discuss in the show today, and that is the disciples and the followers around these great masters. We're in a way a cult. And uh, today, oh, yeah. though, this, this word has a really a derogatory meaning. And Richard, what would you like to say about that? I'm very glad you brought that up, actually, because I think it's a term that is used in a very, very lazy manner by people who want to cast aspersions, derogatory aspersions, without really investigating. And because it's got so many negative connotations nowadays, the word cult, and rightly so to some degree, because there are some organizations, I haven't made a study of it in any way, but from what one can glean, which are thoroughly disreputable. Well, we know of some because people have died in certain cults. And we know of others where there are very strong allegations of brainwashing, breaking up families, taking money. And people know that. 
um, they, they know that these things go on so that when someone just throws the word cult at you, um, because literally cult means, as you rightly say, a religious movement. It's the word from which culture is derived. We were talking about extraterrestrial culture earlier. It should be a good word. Every great spiritual movement, Christianity, Buddhism, in their very beginnings were cults and regarded as such. But now it's got these very unfortunate connotations and the Ethereum Society certainly isn't one. What I would say though, and, I, and you could, if you're new to the Ethereum Society, by all means, apply these yardsticks to, to, to us as well. When you come across a, a religious movement or a spiritual group, there are two things you, you might want to look for. First and foremost, you want to look to see whether its teachings and its practices are worthy in themselves. Um, no matter what the other aspects of it are, are, they, are the teachings, do they have merit? Are they doing good? Um, you know, are they healing? Are they helping? Are they concerned about the world? Are they concerned about others? So that's the first thing you look for. And of course, and is it true? Also very vital, because anyone can claim things. So that's the first thing. And the other thing that you might want to do is look to see the conduct of that organization. Are they trying to brainwash people? Are they trying to break up families? Are they trying to somehow force money, excessive monies out of people? Um, you know, have people, uh, have there been any, uh, you know, tragic deaths as we, we've heard about in certain organizations? I say I have not made a study of it, but you come across these things. So you're looking to see, one, the value of the, uh, the teaching, and two, the behavior of the organization. Now, sometimes you'll get one where the teaching is maybe quite good, and you've had Christian cults, you've had Hindu cults, uh, which have alleged very bad behavior as well. You, you, you know, one might be right, the other might be wrong. Um, but sometimes you'll get an organization, I would say, like the Ethereum Society, where A, the teaching is right, B, uh, we behave as honorably and uh, respectfully, and we don't try and uh, force anyone to do anything. It's entirely up to them. And so you'll have to form your own judgment on those two areas. But I just think it's important to say, in our case, we are not a cult, because the, the word has taken on meanings which, which are uh, so bad now. Uh, and I do think in the media, and we experienced this uh, over the years, not as much as we used to actually, but it still happens, they'll find, they might write quite a good article on us and then throw in a headline which describes us as a cult. And of course immediately a lot of the readers think, oh, I'll keep away from that then. And that's just a lazy piece of journalism. Well, thank you very much for explaining that, Richard. It's so true. As you say, we certainly don't force people. In fact, we almost have an opposite approach in the Ethereum Society, that we recommend people to spend time getting to study the society, to know all about it, before even considering membership. So thank you so much for going into that. Absolutely, we um, do. As a matter of fact, you, we won't let anyone join our organization unless we know that they're familiar with our teachings. Uh, yeah. So we want them to know what they're joining. We're not trying, whereas there are some organizations, I gather, which will hide their real beliefs until after you've joined up. So we're the exact yes. opposite to that, yes. Thank you. Yes, um, another uh, aspect of this, another part of the discipleship discussion today has to be, of course, the disciples of the founder of the Ethereum Society, our spiritual master, Dr. George King. And Richard, um, you know, I've known Richard since he was 18, and uh, I can attest firsthand that Richard was one of Dr. King's, is one of Dr. King's closest disciples in the world, and he was always on call day and night, 24-7, um, for decades. And you, I know, Richard, you had many uh, extremely interesting, fascinating experiences with Dr. King over this time, and I wondered if you might share one or two of those with, with the listeners today. Yes. I, I, what I would say is uh, that um, Dr. King was very good because, as you write, I was on call. And, I, of course, I was in quite often in the U.K. when he was in the USA, and he used to speak to me pretty well every day on the phone then. 
And he was always extremely polite, if that's the word. Well, I won't say always, because sometimes there was a world emergency on and he didn't have time. And he, I remember getting one phone call in the night, which was um, went something like this. And I'm, I'm trying to use his phrase. He said, this is compound emergency alert. Uh, and, and he gave me an instruction to do with the missions, and there was no messing about. But on the whole, if he rang me up, and it might be two in the morning my time, he would apologise for the time, even if he'd be doing it regularly. And he'd asked me uh, if it was all right. And I made it absolutely clear. I, I absolutely ring me any time. So he didn't impose. It was a, a very, very considerate thing, and it's something I welcomed. I will admit, at times, I kind of used to think, gosh... Um, I'm absolutely tired out. Maybe tonight would not be the best time for a call, but uh, it didn't matter. And I must say, Chrissy, I'd give my eye teeth to get that phone call tonight at any yeah. time that uh, the sure. Dr. King chose. But there's one thing I was just going to add to what you were saying before we go to a break, and then I'll certainly give some examples like you asked. Um, but I was just going to say this. I do think that a disciple of a teacher or especially of a master should, and by the way, master is not limited, we've covered this many times but for new listeners, to men. Uh, a fe there can be a female master as well. Uh, the term mistress isn't used, it's master, it's used for men and women. But what I would say is that the disciple, I believe, should try to emulate their master. Obviously, we're not going to get close to their greatness, but that's what we should be doing. We should try to almost be a reflection of the master and express our spirituality in the way that they did or the, the way that they taught. Now, I'll give an example of that, if I may. You mentioned Jesus, and everybody thinks of the 12 disciples when you mention disciples, in the West anyway. Uh, yeah. they, in the East, you might use the term chela or some other term. But in the 12 blessings or following the 12 blessings, and I'm sure lots of our listeners have the 12 blessings, there's a conclusion. And in the conclusion, uh, Dr. King says this, Jesus has come again in this 20th century to extend his ancient mission to save this earth. It is now up to you, the new disciples, who read, learn, and accept these teachings to take your rightful place as sowers of the seeds of cosmic truth throughout your world. And then after that, there's a transmission from Mars Sector 6, in which Mars Sector 6 says, uh, it is, it's headed by Dr. King, this transmission, go ye forth. But Mars Sector 6 says, you notice, O disciples, that these teachings are not limited. Now, the reason I mention that is because it's very much an expression of the Master Jesus uh, and there are many wonderful qualities, of course, in that incredible master, beautiful master, forgiveness, sacrifice, and love, of course. But he was also one of the great teachers of all times. And so if you were expressing as a disciple of the master Jesus or a new disciple, because I do believe these references are to the master Jesus, even in this conclusion of the Twelve Blessings, it would be in spreading these teachings and for therefore following his example. Let, let me give you another example from the Master Jesus, if I may. And I may not get this word perfect, but in the seventh blessing, the Master Jesus uh, tells us, uh, when he's talking about the Mother Earth, I'm going to get it actually word perfect. Why, why not get it word perfect? Um, he says, uh, excuse, please bear with me, something like spread these truths abroad you you'll know the quote i'm looking for chrissy i'm sure um yes. oh, i'm looking at the wrong blessing that's why i haven't found it sorry <laughs> i'm getting there everybody i'm looking to i i don't want to give you the wrong quote i want to give you the right quote um, you are commanded to think of these things and spread them like seeds of truth abroad says the master jesus in other words spread the truth about the mother earth like seeds of truth abroad. Then, dear friends, you'll be helping the Great One in the limitation she's accepted on your behalf. So the Master Jesus is saying, which is a most wonderful, hopeful thing, that we can help the Mother Earth by spreading the truth about her far and wide. And that, I think, is a, 
a great expression um, of the essence of the Master Jesus, who, like Lord Buddha, came from Venus, the great planet of the teachers. And so if you were to be a disciple, or even a new disciple, and we should all, to some extent, be a new disciple uh, when, we, when we live and practice the 12 blessings of Jesus, Master Jesus, we would be spreading, we would be teachers, we would be spreading these teachings. Now, if you take Dr. George King... Uh, and he didn't regard being a teacher as the most important aspect of his own mission, or indeed of, of the Master Jesus' mission either, but he was a fantastic, wonderful teacher. But his qualities could be different. Now, how did he help the Mother Earth? Well, above all else, I think, we'd have to say, uh, by Operation Sunbeam, which I mentioned earlier on. A very different approach, a karmic approach, an energy approach. So as disciples, it's more, a much more advanced approach. But my point being this, that as disciples of Dr. King, we would not only spread teachings, but we would more be looking to manipulate karma as he did. In other words, be a reflection of him. To work at an energy level as he did. To fight evil wherever we find it as he did fight lies with truth and so on so that's just a point i wanted to make chrissy that as a disciple you're striving to reflect and express the pattern set by your master well that's very interesting thank you richard and that brings up many other questions certainly but um let's have a break and let nikki give her announcements and afterwards perhaps you will share your some personal experiences sure with dr king thank you so much thank you well, oh my, thank you, Richard and Chrissy, for a truly enlightening and interesting first half of this show. You are listening to a serious radio live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze talking about discipleship through the ages. Every Saturday and Sunday, you are most welcome to join us in the live online 12 Blessing services. And to find out more, please visit 12blessings.org. That's 12 in digits. Saturday, March the 7th, at the Michigan branch in Royal Oak, there will be a one-day You Two Can Heal workshop with a truly popular workshop teacher. That's Chrissy Blaze. And I would suggest that is one not to be missed. So for more details regarding this workshop and regular activities at the Michigan branch, please visit our website and you are welcome to email michigan at ethereus.org. You'll be pleased to hear that the new 2020 program of events being held at the Ethereus Temple in London will appear on london-temple.org so please do visit that for more information and of course for details of 2020 activities in Los Angeles and other Ethereum Society centers around the world please visit ethereus.org the next Ethereum radio live show will be on March 17th entitled the 12 blessings new age teachings of the master Jesus very timely in that Ethereum Society centers worldwide would have just celebrated on March 15th the true birth date of the Master Jesus. Chrissy Blaze will be joined by her guest, Paul Nugent, an international director of the Ethereum Society who is based at the American headquarters and a frequent visitor to the Michigan branch. So that's it for now. So I'm pleased to return you to your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, Chrissy, could I add to that list when I was talking about some of the things that would... And you will find certain qualities in all masters, uh, no matter who they are, uh, such as intensive concentration, complete commitment to their path, and bravery, selflessness, so f and so on. But one of the qualities, of course, with Dr. King that I should definitely have mentioned was service, above all else, and very, very very hard work uh, and I must say that I'm aware of a number of disciples of Dr. King here in London and in other parts of the world but I see them regularly here in London who uh, never met Dr. King at all physically but are emulating his pattern by extremely hard work. I mean, I could apply that to people of our generation too, Chrissy, but I see some 
very hard-working people uh, here who, who don't seek time off particularly they have time off and they have holidays sometimes but what they are seeking to do is work and that is really following the pattern and the path of their master i must say yeah and that brings up i don't know whether you want to talk about this now or later but the karmic link which you wrote about so eloquently in the king who came to earth it um, does I think that's such an important part of the book and um so perhaps do you want to yes. talk about that now, Richard? I do, or? actually. I do. Okay. I, I think that's or a very you... good idea, yes. Unless you wish to, Chrissy. Well, um, I mean, I could read the part from the book and okay. comment it, if you, if you wish. So, yes, sure. Um, so relevant to what you're saying now. And that mm. is, it's in the afterword of, of this amazing book, actually. Um, and again, <laughs> Richard and Brian are coming to um, Michigan to talk about this on the Saturday, May the 16th. Um, this part, it says, there is a karmic link between a teacher and a pupil. And if a pupil really advances, then they can and do take into themselves more and more the higher attributes of these teachings. This is an absolute fact. And, of course, there is a statement, too, that when the pupil is ready, the teacher appears. And this, too, is an absolute fact. The teacher has to, by law, take the next step with those pupils who are ready if he cannot do so then the right teacher is brought along to be able to do so. This is one of the laws of karma, and it's greater than all of us. It's greater than the world, and it's greater than the solar system, and even the suns, because it's one of the great laws known about for thousands of years on earth. It appertains not only on this earth, but on all inhabited planets, throughout this galaxy anyway, that when the pupil is ready, the teacher does appear. In other words, when the pupil is ready for the next essential step, then they will be able to take that step. They will be helped in one way or another to take that step. And the student does begin to absorb some of the deeper aspects of the teachings and some of the deeper aspects of the teacher too. This too is a fact. If you study diligently under a, under a teacher who is in any good at all, and you really study diligently whether you come into physical contact with that individual or not, you begin to absorb some of his higher knowledge, which he may not have imparted to you by word of mouth. And that was from Dr. George King, from one of his classes. Yes, that's right. And, and it's so true. And it, I think it's a, there's a tremendous promise in that uh, that's made, really, that um, it's a beautiful concept that you aren't by uh, living his teachings, by studying them, by practicing them, that you're going to draw at a subtle level. Whether you've come into physical contact with your master or not, you're going to bring some of the higher knowledge, I would say attributes even, characteristics uh, even, of that master into you. And you'll start to express them in a much dimmer way, of course, than the teacher himself, the master himself. But some of them will come through. And I've seen, I've seen it in people. I mean, I'm one, but I've seen others who, you know, they start to become more discerning, for example. Or they, they'll take on a quality which they didn't particularly have before. And it's by studying, uh, and a good positive quality, they might become a stronger person, for example better able to stand alone and stand for truth and so forth. And that can be taking on the quality, in this case, of, of Dr. George King, who absolutely lived that throughout his entire life. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Richard. And when I went to London, I have to say, I did notice in some of the younger people there who had what I always like to call the staff spirit, the spirit mm -hmm. that we kind of had that we were so excited to be around the master and we worked hard and we you know we were inspired and they too even though they didn't meet him as you rightly said they had that same spirit so that was very interesting to see that and i'm not saying it's just in london either by the way but they it's certainly here i I've, i i see it too in certain people very much so um I think perhaps I, I'm very happy to share my experiences, of course, and I would stress many others have experiences too. I'm, I'm, I'm one. But I think perhaps should we not 
touch first, Chrissy, on how uh, discipleship is handed down or how that link is handed down. And we virtually said one of the best way in the end is simply following and practicing the path of your master and the teachings that he left and living it and supporting it and working for it, either working uh, in, the, in, the, in the way that the teachings uh, direct you to work or even better, working to support, in this case it would be the Ethereum Society, uh, so, so that his work, his legacy or an aspect of his legacy, a major aspect, will be furthered. And in this way, I think you gain a tremendous link, as we've just expressed there, uh, with your teacher. But there are some other ways too, and one is um, through initiation, of course, through um, succession, through some form of ritual, and that's very generally passed down through touch. And, you know, Chrissy, something struck me once, and it's, um, I'm referring back now to the Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the Old Testament. And it's a very odd story that I was taught at school. I suppose probably people aren't taught it so much at school now, but some of our listeners may be familiar with this. But the son of Abraham, of course, was Isaac, and he passed his lineage on to uh, one of his sons. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And according to the Bible description, he, he was blind by that point, I believe, Isaac. He couldn't see, and Esau had much more hair on his arms, according to this story, than Jacob did. And so Jacob, I believe, with the help of his mother, according to the story, put some sort of furry animal on, you know, skin or something on his arm. So he, and Isaac thought it was Esau and passed his succession on to Esau. I don't know how true that story is. It sounds odd. But the point is this. Let's just assume for just for a moment it was true. Once he realized he'd done that, Isaac, he couldn't change it. That's right. the thing that interests me. And he didn't change it. Uh, so the power of a succession through touch, through initiation, it, it crosses all traditions, I would say. It certainly happens within the Ethereum Society and it's passed down through people who were initiated, consecrated, uh, ordained in one way or another by Dr. King, authorized through the generations and it can pass on to people and live within them. And you'll find it in all traditions. And you'll find gurus who touch their disciples and some enlightenment dawns upon them. And you'll find it expressed in many different ways, depending on the tradition. But that's one of the other ways through which you might say aspects of discipleship are transmitted. And then there's the other very rare way, I would say, but not impossible way um, where it's where a disciple is contacted through mental transmission i think a very good example of this would, well would be actually dr king himself uh, who was commanded and then contacted by his own master the master Etherius, of whom he was the star pupil another and it's good to bring up a, a woman i think as an example is madame blavatsky whose master was known as m and yet the contacts were made, generally speaking, through remote viewing or some other form of mental transmission, and yet she was very much an active disciple of that master. Ascended yes, well, master. thank you for that. Mm. And there are others too. I mean, there's so much I know that you could say about this, Richard. I know. Um, but I, I think the listeners would love to hear your experiences. Sure. Um, well, I, I just hope difficult. I haven't um, shared these with our listeners before. I know lots of people will have heard. I don't, I'll, I'll just give a couple of examples. I, I will just talk about the first and the last time that I was, um, not the first time I saw Dr. King, but the first time he directly, rather than through somebody else, gave me a task to do for him. And I must have been 18 or maybe 19. I'm not quite sure whether it was before or after my birthday in June of that year. But I walked in uh, to Ethereum's house here. I was brand new. I'd been a member for very long, and I certainly um, wasn't on, you know, first name terms with Dr. King in that he didn't know me uh, as well. He didn't certainly hadn't been introduced to me very much at all, and I was um, 
just you know just a keen eager student i was at university i was on my uh, vacation in london and i choose to spend my vacation at the ethereum society but i didn't know dr king had arrived and i walked in through the door of ethereum's house and i saw a great friend of both of us ray nielsen walking up the steps and uh, from the dining room into the shop area as it was and i went straight up to ray and i said oh ray and ray gave me a very strange look and almost ignored me and carried on walking up the stairs and right behind him was the looming figure of dr king which was quite awesome to me i didn't even know he was in england so I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, and I sort of backed off, as it were. But Dr. King very kindly didn't follow Ray up the stairs. He came over to me and said something along the lines of, hello, boy, did, did you want something? Did you want Ray? And I said, oh, I, no, I was just wondering if there was anything I could do to help. And then he gave me my first job, which was making, you might, I don't know whether you remember this or not, Chrissy, dummy books for the window. He said, my books are getting damaged by the sunlight in the window. I think he invented it probably. But anyway, it was a job, proper job. He said, can you do artwork? To which I replied, yes, which was quite an exaggeration, to be honest. But I, and he said, well, can you make some dummy books for our window? Because my books are getting damaged. And then these dummy books will, uh, will get damaged. And I said, certainly, yes. And he said, thank you, boy. And he walked off very kindly. And then I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? <laughs> so I contacted the person. I went and saw the person who was in charge of the art department here at the Theorist House at the time, one Alison Snipper, as she was then. Now Alison Lawrence, but I, we weren't uh, an item at all then. And she helped me. And so that was my first job uh, for him. Um, and then going straight to the very last time I physically saw him alive, um, I was actually in Los Angeles. And it was just turned out to be months before he passed on. But I was a regular visitor. You were there, Chrissy. And there was going to be an event in the afternoon uh, to do with one of our organizations called the Mystical Order of St. Peter. And uh, this was a Saturday morning, I believe. It was either Saturday or Sunday, probably Saturday. And the event was in the afternoon. And I was running the event in the afternoon in L.A. And then I was flying back to England. And I would travel to and fro to, Los, to, to Santa Barbara, where he was very poorly. And it would be sort of an hour and a half to two-hour drive. Um, and pretty regularly, and stay with him sometimes, and then sometimes come back to Los Angeles. And I'd said my farewells the previous day, and he rang me up that morning, and he said, I want to see you for 10 minutes. Uh, so I thought, gosh, I'd better uh, get move on. He said, so I, I drove to uh, Santa Barbara, and what was unusual about it was that there were no airs and graces whatsoever with Dr. King. And he couldn't, didn't want people to, for example, kneel in his presence. I remember giving healing to him once, as so many did, uh, well, a few did, uh, in, in his bedroom there. And I, to get a comfortable position, I was kneeling down. He didn't even like me kneeling down to give him healing. He didn't want that sort of thing. On this occasion, it was I would call it very traditional. Uh, which was so unusual for him. And I came in, and he was seated in, in, in his armchair there, because um, I say, quite poorly. And he said to me, oh, come here, boy, uh, kneel down. Now, that, that was unusual in itself. And so I knelt down, and he gave me an initiation. And it's uh, a certain uh, practice, which I haven't yet perfected. He did tell me one thing about the practice, actually, which is that um, you have to be careful because if you do this properly, you'll levitate. To which I thought to myself, well, that would be a great problem to have. <laughs> but that was in my ignorance, I think. Uh, I, it's something that I'm going to work on because apart from anything else, I don't want to be, I don't think he gave it to anyone else. And I don't, you know, I would like to pass it on to others. Uh, so um, I can't pass it on to others until I, till I, as I said earlier, demonstrated it myself. So it's work in progress even now. <gasps> but it was uh, that was it. I just knelt down. He gave me the initiation. Uh, it was very kindly. Then he said to me, "Well, you've got a meeting to run this afternoon. You'd better drive back." And I gave him a hug, 
drove back and that's the last time I ever saw him. Oh, thank you very much, Richard, for sharing those very personal experiences because I know when they are so personal, it can be difficult to share because it's so precious to you. But mm. it certainly does help uh, listeners, I think, to understand better not only our master but also the, the, the master-disciple relationship, that close relationship that you had. So thank you so much for that. And yes, and you know, one thing I, I would say, it's another aspect of him actually talking about um, his attributes, that he was a master who operated so much on the inner planes. You know, you, you, the other yes. mar- avatars that we know of, of the 20th century, uh, were uh, Swami Sivananda and Gandhi. And both those two w- were quite engaged in material occupations, you could say. I mean, they were worthy ones, but Gandhi had to be a trained lawyer, of course, to perform his mission. And Sivananda was uh, an accomplished doctor. He had to to have medical training. Whereas Dr. King, right from the beginning, uh, was focused on the inner planes and gaining the inner powers, and we can see why, in view of his real combat mission to Earth and and the many aspects of him. Um, And so that, too, is, I think, an element uh, and surprisingly, and I'll just quickly share one more, and then I think we're going to have to pass on talking about other disciples through the ages. Oh, yes, uh, this, but I this had time. one more question to ask. Go on. If you have a couple of minutes mm-hmm. at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, you ask me then. I, I was oh, going I'll, to just I'll, give one other example, but go on. Oh, no, give another example. I think we have time. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be quite quick, and I'm, a lot will have heard this before, but it, it was a particular... I'll, I'll cut it very short, but I was doing a particular practice... Uh, which is a, a well-known in, in yoga circles anyway, uh, called the shadow practice. It gives you certain powers, which I won't go into now. But Dot King had no idea I was even doing it at all. I hadn't mentioned it to him. And he went for a rest after we'd given him some healing, and I was doing it uh, in his garden. And he got up from his rest after one minute and just came out and said to me, keep watching the shadows and then oh, went wow, back to bed again fantastic. and oh, you know then you later he that. and I talked but it just goes to show he was focused on those inner planes and the inner development of his own students and disciples as well that's fantastic experience that you had there Richard and we do appreciate that you sharing that it does help us to understand our master such a lot better Richard, the one question I wanted to to perhaps close with today is, you know, the thought of discipleship to most people, I think, is so not only kind of irrelevant to them or somehow very difficult to attain, but Hmm. I know you believe that we can all become a disciple of King Yoga, for example, today. And I wondered if you could explain that a little. Yes. um, Actually, I'll just quote uh, Dwal Kool, uh, who was the Tibetan adept who, who communicated with Alice Bailey, and he said all the disciples from the humblest aspirant up to and beyond the Christ himself. Let's not run away with the idea that the even great ones like uh, uh, our, uh, Dr. King, like the Lord Buddha, like uh, I think even Mars Sector 6 pays tremendous respect to the Saturnians. Uh, so discipleship is across the board. But King Yoga, of course, is the path left by Dr. King, and anyone... Uh, can take up this path. In fact, the last lines of the biography perhaps might be good to end this particular uh, program with. And this is what we said. But you may want to take it further, to regard him, that's Dr. King, as a teacher, your teacher, and thereby create a karmic link between yourself and the pivotal avatar of our age. If you do, the leaves of curiosity will fall away, And you'll be impressed even to your very soul by his amazing reality. And if you forge this linkage still further, you too could become a a disciple of the king who came to earth. Wow. Fantastic ending, yes. Thank you so much for this great show, Richard. And thank you, Nikki. And Nikki, I think we have one minute left if Nikki wants to give any last minute announcements thank you well wow that was absolutely fascinating thank you so very much Richard and Chrissy 
You have been listening to Aetherius Radio Live, which is your cosmic connection, the third Tuesday of each month. Please do join us for the next show, which will be on March 17th, entitled The Twelve Blessings, New Age Teachings of the Master Jesus, with Chrissy Blaze and her guest, Paul Nugent. As always, our website, Aetherius.org, has more information and details of the various publications available on CD or download. You can connect with Chrissy Blaze and Richard Lawrence by visiting their respective websites, chrissyblaze.com and richardlawrence.co.uk. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aetherius Radio Live. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward very much to being with you next month. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.